We continue in our Summer of Psalms series, book five, A God Who Delivers, and I believe it's Sandy up here, right? Is it Sandy right here? Yes. So I've never had anyone attempt to sign my sermons. She is doing sign language, which is a wonderful gift that she has. So we may see Sandy lose a limb for how fast she's going to have to go. So we pray a blessing over Sandy this morning as she, I will do my best to slow it down. Just know I'm going to do my best. Uh, As we continue in Psalm 110, Psalm 109, last week, really weird psalm to kind of preach on. It was uh, a precatory psalm. And for uh, coffee and a conversation with Pastor Jim, what is a precatory psalm? It is a psalm of? All right, too many of you answer. That's too many cups of coffee. We will just make an extra pot one day in the annex. It is a song of vengeance. And we talked about dealing with vengeful feelings. That, that David had to feel those in the things that he was in his heart and in his spirit crying out to God. Right? We liken that to maybe driving in tra- traffic. You're already a little ticked off. Someone cuts you off. We would not probably say the things that David said. I don't know if any of us ever shouted out, I hope that your generations fail. I hope you have no more kids or grandkids. I hope you get fired. Maybe you said that last one, but maybe you didn't say the other ones. But those are the kind of things that David was crying out in his precatory psalm, his psalm of vengeance. Well, thank God we take a very big right turn and we're on to a different psalm. We're going to be in Psalm 110 this morning. So let's take a look at the first couple verses. The the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool, okay? Stay with me, it's not another precatory psalm. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments from the womb to the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Let's pause right there. So here we see another different kind of prayer. We see a plead right now, really, for Lord, the Lord to kind of take back control. So let's pause for a minute. How many of us have ever prayed that prayer? You don't have to raise your hands. Lord, take back control. Usually it's a prayer or a cry of our heart that comes when we believe everything is just cattywampus, right? Everything just seems wild and crazy, and it seems like there is no order to be had. I think it's funny that at times us as sinners pray for order because the first thing we should be doing is praying for order in ourselves, that we are bringing order. Because it's kind of a little bit of a hypocritical prayer to be praying for order amongst the societies or amongst our family, and we're causing distress or disorder. That's like praying something and then not actually doing it ourselves. That's a hypocritical prayer. But the thing that we see this morning is the intimacy that David has with the Father. It takes a level of intimacy to pray a precatory psalm like we did in a prayer last week because you're praying some pretty awful things, things that you hope and pray don't come true, yet you're praying it, you're getting it off your chest, you're invoking the name of the Lord. Here we see something a little different. We see 
David use a specific term. He uses the term Lord. Hannah, if you go back to the beginning of that, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at the right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is David taking on the voice of the Lord. This is something that David is receiving from God. So as much as we want to just put it in, this is a prayer from David to God, it's not. This is a kind of interaction that David is having with God, we're seeing it. We have uh, ringside seats to this interaction that the intimacy that David has with God is so intense that he is almost receiving a response from God to himself. Now, maybe you've had a prayer like that. Maybe in your prayer time you have heard, whether audibly, have any of you ever gotten a burning bush? Because I'd be really jealous if that was the case, because I've never gotten one. I remember when I was a sophomore in college, I was praying whether or not to transfer out of Pella, Iowa, because things close after 9 o'clock, and I needed things open, um, and that's why you make college decisions. But, you know, I was sitting at my desk praying, Lord, what should I do? Should I stay at Central? Should I go to Judson University? Those were the two that I kind of landed on. And I had the audacity to pray for a burning bush. Show of hands, how many of you have ever prayed for a burning bush. I'm going to hold my hand up. Hey, thank you. Thank you for being honest. You know, some people are like, I don't want other people to see. Yes. I, and I heard God audibly laugh. And I got mad. Lord, I'm crying out. What should I do for this next chapter of my life? And this isn't funny. And I heard the Lord say, Jim, do you believe your college choice is as important as getting my people out of Egypt? It's not. Be faithful, pick, and I will be with you always. This was a reminder I needed because I had put my prayer request on par with Israelite slavery in Egypt. And let's call a spade a spade this morning. That's usually not where we are. Our prayers rarely are of that caliber and nature, though we feel like they can be. I was asking for God to engage my college decision the way he engaged Moses to bring the Israelites out of slavery. I look at that now and go, who do I think I am to pray that? But we see this relationship that David has with God, that he has this intense kind of interaction that the Lord is saying, David, be faithful. Be faithful and I will bring you through it. Let's pause there a second. A lot of times, I know for me, and I know for a lot of you as well, because we've talked about it, and this may sting, and I don't believe, I, I hope it doesn't, because I'm, I'm telling myself first, and then I'm telling the rest of you. There are times that we pray to God, ask him to do something, but we're really not willing to do anything with it. We just, God, you, can you just take care of it? Right? It's almost like a kid who gets bold enough to actually ask the parents to do the chores instead of them. That's never, kids here this morning, that is never a good idea. Where are my boys? They're with the Ardsma, so that's a twofer, right? It's never a good idea. We'll look at all of them. That if the parent, if the, if the father or the mother asks you to do something, that you actually walk in it and do it. But in our prayer time, sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes we are casting our cares on God because, pastor, we're called to. We are called to cast our burdens 
Absolutely. But so many people stop there. Because what does Jesus say next? Pick up my yoke, for my burden is easy and light. Just because we cast our cares on God, cast our cares on Jesus, doesn't mean we're scot-free, right? Doesn't mean we're, we're good. God's got it. I'm just going to walk. No, we still have work to do. That God is the one that is delivering, right, the name of the kind of the sermon series this morning. But what does it look like to live out being delivered? So many of us, we just, God, you do the work. I'm just going to sit here and wait until it's all the roses are turning up Jim. Friends, I think that's rarely how it works. Because there is a relationship here. David still had to do something major. David had some wonderful prayers, right? We call them psalms, beautiful songs, crying out to God. But it's not like he just sat on his throne and did nothing. David still had to get to work. David still had to be faithful. And that's what we can draw from Psalm 110. Praying to God is awesome. But walking in the manner of his spirit is even awesomer. Because that is what we are called to do. Lord, I would love if you could intervene in this situation. I bet he will. But you're going to have to walk into it. You're going to have to walk through it. Especially things like reconciliation. Right? Lord, I really hope that this situation resolves itself and peace can be made. Fantastic. Beautiful prayer. Biblical. Jesus even tells us to do it. But so many times we just sit then. And we're sitting and waiting for that other person to have their shoulder tapped. It's God going, hey, go, go apologize to that person. Friends, that's a giant waste of time. Because we are called in the midst of conflict, we are called in the midst of a, a process of reconciliation to be active in it, not dormant in it. That David still had to go out and fight. David still had to be the king. David still had to be God's chosen, anointed leader. Because it's terrible leadership to pray for the other person to do better and for us to just sit. In a lot of ways, it's an unbiblical prayer. That sometimes we pray and we lob these grenades and expect the other person to fix it and just bring it to us. Show of hands of how many times that's worked in your life. Just my middle son. Oh, yep. Maybe. I, I, we'll, we'll talk about that this afternoon, Teddy. But so often our prayers are really the stop of our forward motion in it. That can't be. That there are times we have to continue to walk in truth and justice through the situation. Though it may stink, right? Though it may be difficult, though it may be like the other person, other party, or whatever wants nothing to do with it, you still have to walk. Let's continue with the psalm. So after the order of Melchizedek, we'll get to that in a second. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will, lift up, he will lift up his head. 
Is that it? Yeah. So that he will lift up his head to the situation. Again, this is that kind of interaction of David hearing what God's response is and then God's response back to David. It's really a unique prayer. We don't have a lot of psalms like this, but what we're seeing is a reminder for David. This is coming off of a imprecatory psalm, which we, we heard the depths of David crying out, how much he's been hurt, how much he's been lied about, falsely accused, D all of the above. And now the Lord is reminding him, I will be with you. The Lord is at your right hand. The visual of that is the Lord will be your guide. Anytime you hear about the right hand of the Father, right, that's the leading hand that the Lord is going to lead you. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. We see that in the scriptures and that he's got the situation because he's got you. You've heard me say it before, a Lord, that's gonna, a Lord or a God that's going to bring you to something, he will ultimately bring you through it as well. But there's so many times our faith stops there because we see the situation, and it's messy. I don't want to forgive that person. That person hurt me. Whoa, whoa, time out. You just prayed for reconciliation. You just prayed for, for, for the situation to resolve itself, and there exposes Sometimes our false prayers, because our prayers for the other person should not be the primary prayer. The prayer should be, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Much like we learned last week, we got to bring it into this week. Our prayer, first and foremost, is mano a mano, us and God. If we're going to bring people into the prayer, that's fine. But we don't start with that. Right? Lord, fix them. And then let them come to me, and then I'll decide if I forgive them. Friends, that's foolish talk. That's not how prayer works. Right? The prayer, we start, and we recognize that vertical relationship we have with God. So my question this morning is, how is that vertical relationship? Are we connecting with God daily? Do you trust that God's got you? Maybe you have a brand new diagnosis. Maybe you have a brand new issue in your family. Maybe uh, the marriage, something happened yesterday and things just seem broken today. Are you connecting first and foremost? Because so many times when couples come to me for counseling, they have wonderful prayers for their spouse. But rarely do I hear, I ask God to reveal the sin in me first. A lot of times it's, I've asked God to reveal the sin to them. That's not how that works, right? Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. But we're really good at praying the opposite. Lord, I'm just going to ask that you fix Carrie. I'm good, but you need to fix Carrie, and then we can make it work. Babe, when you hear this, just understand this is just an example. That is not an actual prayer that I pray, Right? Uh, or else I'll be, that's not even a couch sleep. That's I'm sleeping outside. Uh, but understand that that is part of what we do. Because when we get hurt, right, as David has been hurt, more times than not, we want to look to the other person. Because they're the ones that we place all of our ick on, even in our prayer. Lord, smite them or 
at least have them come to me and apologize. But what about you? We've heard it takes two to tango. That happens in dancing, but it also happens in conflict. That it rarely is just the one side. And if your desire is for the best outcome, if your desire is for the deepest reconciliation you can have with the Holy Spirit and the other person is to look at you first. Let not our mirrors shine on everybody else, but let our mirror look at our heart, our spirit first. Hannah, can you go back to the beginning of that psalm? The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. David, keep walking. David, keep leading. I will do the work. The scepter, God's going to do the work. But David, you have to trust him. David, you have to trust me, says the Lord, right? You have to trust me to continue to lead. Because if you just hold up in your office or in your kingdom or on your throne and you do nothing, you are not setting an example of someone who trusts in God. Now, if you're anything like me, my body just kind of tightened up a little bit. Because how we react to situations tells the world about our relationship with God. Let that hang for a minute. How we respond, how we react, that's what tells the world about our relationship with God. We have a marital fight, and the next day we're talking negatively about our spouse. Is the world going to go, Man, they're really working on it with the Holy Spirit. Man, that's a true believer. No, they're going to be all about the, the drama. I was about to say gamma. That's gossip and drama put together. It's how we respond to those conflicts in life. What he's telling David is, you still have a job to do. And hear this in the umbrella of grace. God's kingdom does not stop because we perceive our prayer isn't answered. The kingdom of God does not stop when we perceive our prayer isn't answered. The whole salvation of the world, the whole Father forgive them, they know not what they do, the whole go out and make disciples of all nations, doesn't stop because we believe that our prayer isn't answered the way we want. For those of us here, myself included, that want to elevate those kind of things, please understand that. That is a truth we see. That's why at no time in this psalm does God say to David, stop being king. Because he's the one that called him to it. You all have been called to live the life of a believer. You have all been called, right? It's not just elders, deacons, pastors, ministry leaders. You all have been called to lead for the sake of the gospel. And my hope and my prayer is that we take that seriously. And along the way, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be high, high moments. There's going to be low moments. Are you leaning on the Lord? Are you trusting the scepter of his word in your life? Or 
and I'll land the plane here. When we perceive God's not answering the way we want him to, we step back. And just that little nugget of doubt sets in. Well, I asked for this. God didn't give it to me. So maybe he's not who he says he is. Where does that voice come from? Comes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say? I wonder what it would have been like if David just quit. Right? I wonder what it would have been like if David said, God, clearly you're not working the way I want to. These people have not been smited. And so therefore you aren't the God that I thought you were. I'm done. The history of Israel would have been completely different. The line of David would have been completely different. Yet one thing was still going to happen. Christ was still going to come to show us how to do it. To see Jesus in the flesh tell and rebuke religious leaders to forgive sins and hold accountable. Go and sin no more. To do the miracles of life. To respond to the needs of the people though they didn't get it. Right? He says, though I come to you like a hen amongst my chickens, right? That's the time he kind of calls himself a hen. He says, you don't see it. You don't perceive it. Because too often we want it to come in a very specific way. I had a mentor, and he's still a mentor today. Uh, he was one of my college professors. He was a military helicopter pilot. And one of the greatest teachings he ever gave me, and there were many, is the, he taught about what it means to overgrip. How many of you have ever flown a helicopter? All right, so then I could... Archie, you've flown a helicopter? Oh, you haven't. You just rose your hands. Thank you, Archie. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you a real question about it, but I'm sure you know where I'm going. That for a helicopter pilot, you are not to hold the steering wheel or the throttle really tightly. Because for a helicopter, there needs to be movement. That a helicopter will never be fully steady. It's the nature of a helicopter. And one of the biggest things he learned in his training was do not over grip because that is not how a helicopter flies but there are times in our prayer life there are times in our relationship with God we want to over grip we want God to be more the way we want him our way right away right we want we want him to be and move exactly the way we want and that has never been the case that never will be the case Why in the world do we as the sinners in need of saving get to tell the Savior of the world how to do his job? I'm pretty sure he knows what he's doing. I'm not pretty sure. I guarantee you he knows what he's doing. But it takes faithfulness. It takes trust. It takes the understanding that you're going to get hurt in this life. But God is still on the throne. His scepter still at work. So the faster we can understand that as individuals and as a church, friends, the grenades are coming. It's not going to be easy being a church in the coming 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Those things are going to be lobbed at us. If we, we rise and fall, if we overgrip every time something like that happens, it's going to be a disaster. Regardless of the outcomes, we know who wins. 
right? We know who's always there. It's not me. It's not your elders. It's not your deacons. It's not the staff. It's not ministry leaders. It's Christ. That we trust in him and we keep walking. We keep leading. We keep walking out the gospel. Let's pray. Father, for this reminder of your sovereignty, we give you thanks. For the reminder of your grace, we give you thanks. Father, in those moments that I want to overgrip, take control and do things my way, Father, I ask for you to break me. Break that system, because that system is not of you. Father, I pray this prayer for myself and all of us, creating us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from our transgressions, but uphold us by your spirit and your spirit alone. To you be all glory, laud, and honor this day and every day. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We all agree and said, amen.